Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to Flyer and Ice, brought to you by the Heat Ratio Sports Network. I am Dan Green. With me, as always, is Nick Tosti. We have a very special show today. We have the great Al Morgani joining us. Al, thank you so much. It, um, we hope you had a wonderful Fourth of July. And uh, again, thanks for joining our show. No worries. Still hockey season, believe it or not. So why not? It is still hockey season. <laughs> We're, we're, we will definitely delve into the uh, the Stanley Cup Finals. That it, it's been interesting, but we'll 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 touch on that. Nick, how have you been? I've been good, keeping busy watching. You know the the finals and everything that led up to it, and you know a lot of a lot of surprises here and there. To you know getting to the point where we got now with Montreal in the finals here, and you know we'll see if they can claw back. I, I'm I don't think the series is quite dead yet, but. You know, at least uh, we, we still have some hockey, like like Al said. We're uh, it's still hockey season for at least another few days. No, and, I, and I'm I'm beyond glad. Um, people often ask me what the difference between the NBA playoffs and the hockey playoffs. Why hockey's so much better? And I'll say I, I, I say the lack of the whistle is one thing. I mean, the NBA officials just constantly blow their whistle, interrupting the play. I mean, you. There was a sequence in the game the other night where uh, six guys were in a penalty box for like 10 minutes because because the play wouldn't stop. So it's just h- hockey playoffs. There's nothing like it. And again, we will touch on that shortly. So, Al, my first question for you. Mm-hmm. I guess 30 years ago, give or take, tell us how you, um, a kid from Boston, I know you have a newspaper background. Tell us the process, how it came about that you – um, are now a fixture in Philadelphia and became a journalistic broadcasting icon in this town. Well, I was actually in uh, Atlanta. Um, I'd been in um, Boston and then Florida. And then I got a call from the Atlanta Constitution to cover the Flames, believe it or not, with uh, Eric Vale and that team along yep. the Why the act? Billy Clement was the captain, um, was on that team. Um, so I, I was covering the flames and then I got a call from Philadelphia during the season and they wanted to make a change because they just wanted a little more, um, uh, critical writing, I guess you could say, um, cause you know, the Flyers had won and they were just, they want to be a little, a little more, uh, analytical, I guess. So I said, yeah, I'll, I'd rather go to, I was kind of trying to work my way up the East coast. So I said, sure. So I come to Philadelphia thinking, all right, they want they want kind of heavy hockey coverage here and a little bit critical. And the team went on a 35 game unbeaten streak. <laughs> it was there was like little criticism at that point. But it was uh, I covered high school hockey. I covered college hockey for a long time. Um, I was really in, uh, involved with uh, Jackie Parker at BU, uh, Herbie Brooks when he was at Minnesota, uh, Bob Johnson at Wisconsin. Uh, and so, I mean, I would kind of. Broke, I kind of, you know, grinded my teeth in college hockey, and then I uh, took the Atlanta Flames and believe in that. And amazingly, I got a job in Philadelphia, and it was really cool covering this team. And it's a nice place to live, so I just kind of hung out. Now, it's right off the bat. Now I know you came to our town in '79, '80. We uh, did a sh- we did a show on um, our favorite Flyers team of all time, and mine was that '79, '80 team. Uh, it was they lost. I think they lost their uh, first game of the season early to the Atlanta Flames, and then they yeah. went on a 35-game streak, lost yeah. to the, then lost to Minnesota. That was so far and away my my favorite team. Yeah, so, that was a strange team. It was uh, they didn't win the. I mean, we knew during the season if they didn't win the cup, it would be okay. You got 35 in a row, but there were ties back then, right? So yes, but then they didn't win the cup, and uh, he was my favorite coach, Pat Quinn. Uh, okay. Was it was fun covering them, they, and I was the same age basically as the players, so I became very friendly with a lot of those guys. Nick, um, Al, we, we've known each other, uh, you know, for some time over the years, and one we've talked some hockey. One thing I've never asked you, um, in all honesty, are you still a closet Bruins fan or strictly a Flyers fan or a little bit of both? Um, always wanted to know that. I'm more of a hockey fan but i'm a fly i mean i've lived here so long plus you know when i was growing up i believe it or not didn't watch a whole lot i, I mean i played a little bit and um it's funny you, I, the bruins are really good so you know we then watched but i remember my dad when they let or go to chicago he just swore off the bruins 
And uh, he's just, that was that. I mean, if, if, if you let Bobby Orr go, you, we can't root for you anymore. It's, it's done. It's over. Um, but, you know, I, I like the physical hockey, but I'm, I mean, I'm a, I guess more of a flyer. I, I would prefer that they would win. It's the only team in Philadelphia hasn't won since I've been here. So I would like to see them win the cup. It would be really nice. And I, I got to say, of all the um, – I didn't come to Philadelphia for Philadelphia. Uh, I came to Philadelphia for the Flyers and specifically for Ed Snyder – to cover a team that Ed Snyder owned because I knew the way the Bruins did things, and I, then I saw the way the Flyers did things. I was like, oh, my God, this is, this is top level here. They're not messing around. They get anything they want, uh, their facilities, uh, their travel – anything uh and that was the the draw to me the more i covered it the more i really grew to appreciate snyder's uh investment in the team even though he called every hour and a half to complain about something uh it was uh it, it was it was having an owner like that uh covering a team that was owned by a guy like that and i mean he would call for everything i mean it was just and and he'd listen and uh have arguments with you but man it was just so much fun uh covering that team and, and knowing and really knowing how much he wanted to win and how much yeah. how much he poured into every single game even as a fan and I, I, I became a fan mostly through him yeah I mean you, you give me goosebumps when you're talking about Mr. Snyder like that I mean I think we're we're all on the same page when when it comes to the, the, the respect and the admiration that this fan base has had for him but um, you know as far as the Flyers I mean we've discussed countless times our views on what plagues the Flyers currently. What do you see? Are there glaring issues, and can they be fixed quickly? Um, well, uh, yeah, I guess the glaring issue is, you know, we saw it this past year. The goaltender was bad, uh, hard. I mean, that really hurt. But aside from that, the defense in front of them was way less than we expected when Hextall kind of stuffed the cupboards full of uh, prospects who had to, haven't to this point panned out. You know, Niskanen was a nice player, but his absence shouldn't have meant the whole foundation fell apart. So I guess the biggest addition for me right now would be, I mean, I'd do anything to go get Seth Jones to get that right-handed defense shot defenseman. Um, I, I prefer him over anybody that's a, that's available right now. But I think we've got to fix that. And I also think they, they lack, I'm not talking about throwing hands. I'm not talking about knuckle dragging, but they lack a physicality. Um, Great. In terms of, yeah. uh, being difficult to beat, they were when they got beat, they got waxed, and and the Rangers had the same thing. I think you saw that uh, at times. You know, there's a temptation in this league to go all speed and think all like that, but there's still a place for some physicality. And if I were the Flyers, I would. If I, I mean, I definitely think you need to address the number one defenseman, and you've got to address some pushback, some players, uh, a kachuk is what you really need here. Yeah, we talk about the grit all the time on our show. I mean, it was it was it was so obvious. Um, but do you do you predict that they'll make a move? And and if so, who do you, are you hearing anything? And, oh, yeah. and can this team get back to its you know form from 2019, 2020? Well, I mean, you're not going to get back to your form unless the goaltender does. And you know, as much as I want to say I don't have any question about it, well, you saw what happened. And you know, the wounds in Philadelphia from you know from you know, Wentz to, to, uh, to whomever, to, to Simmons, uh, you know, it's like, is this going to be another case like this where it doesn't pan out? I don't think so. However, I think you have to think, you know, they're going to get another goaltender, because, another backup goaltender, because, you know, you know the, he wasn't able to shoulder the load as a backup. I mean, Elliot just wasn't, just not made for that. And so right. the goalie's got to get back on track. And then after that, I mean, I think they would target Seth Jones, and I think they might target Ekholm out of Nashville. They might target Hamilton. But uh, to me, Jones is far and away uh, my target. In order to do that, they're probably going to have to move some salary, and I guess their prayer would be make some sort of deal where Seattle takes Voracek. Uh, make a deal, um, like, like Vegas did when they came in the league. So I'm sure that you know, Fletcher does a lot of stuff. So I'm sure that's what they're looking at. And I'm sure they'll knock, they'll knock on the door about Michael, too, and Johnny Goudreau. I'm sure they'll look at all those areas. Great. Would you rather see Voracek go to the Kraken or JVR? Um, I would probably 
I like Horchek more than most, I guess. Uh, there's something about him. I call him a beauty. I mean, he does some annoying things, but he's kind of a hockey guy to me. Um, but he wasn't that productive uh, this year. And his defense wasn't what it had been the previous year. Uh, their power play really wasn't that productive. I, I would rather, I would rather, I think, uh, Voracek. I think you can probably make a better deal there uh, and that money there for a, a long period of time. And JBR and the power play with tipping and stuff like that. I mean, I'm, you get, both could be done, gone. Gostaspear could be the one they, they're going to take. I mean, there's going to be right. some. Yeah. Now we have a guest, Vinny, checking in. Uh, one of the rumors that I've been hearing um, regarding Seth Jones was Frost. Zade Wisdom, Myers, and our first. Is that what you're hearing, Alan? Do you think that's too much? I don't know that they would. I don't know that that package. I mean, I think it. I actually think they're going to go for Farabee. I think that that's what. And that's. But that's the question. If if I were the general manager, that would be what I would be. Because I don't. I mean, I don't know that 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 would get you. I mean, you know, look at it. Frost is good, but I mean, there are no solid things here. Farabee to me looks like a no can't miss. Um, but if you're going to get a Seth Jones, I think that's what they're going to ask for in return. Honestly, I would do it uh, just because I think that much of that position and that defenseman. Um, but that's what it's going to take. It's going to take a whole lot. If you're going to get him um, uh, out of that situation there, I can't believe he's available to tell you the truth, but if it, you know, if it's going to take it, it's going to come at a heavy, heavy price. I don't know. I mean, who knows? Wisdom is a good story, but I don't know. You're in uh, Frost looks like he's got all the tools, but Farabee is the guy I know is going to be a good player. And if I'm going to get a player like that, I would think that's the ask. I think, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, that's what the GM should ask for. I would, I'd rather keep Farabee than TK maybe, but we'll, we'll see. Well, TK is not going to get, get you that. I mean, Konechny, uh, you had a, disappointing season um connect me to me would be like if you want to swap and you're gonna to have to take on the Gaudreau money and, and you know, make something like that uh connect me could be fun it's funny it looks like Farabee be more of a game breaker at this point than connect me uh, i agree <laughs> because he's a more of a uh accurate shooter i guess and he's got more does the more things well uh but that's the price you're gonna to have to pay yeah, we should. We'll find out soon enough. Um, I guess. I guess. Do you anticipate all this stuff happening once the Stanley Cup wraps yeah, up? Yeah, I think so. And I think you learned from the last expansion draft. There's a lot of moving parts to it, and it'll continue through the re, you know regular draft stuff, all of that. I mean, there's a ton of parts. Uh, you know, you do this, we won't do that. We'll do this. There's part A, B, and C um, to what's going to be done. So it's going to be a, a long while. You may not see. You might not see it take place over weeks. Uh, and, and when things get done, who, who you don't, who they don't take in the draft, who they, who they avoid, stuff like that. So we'll see what gets done. But I'm, I'm sure by the time the season rolls around, there'll be changes because let's be honest, you know, this, this team right now, it, it's going to be hard to drum up a full house uh, for the way they sit right now. Uh, yeah. There needs to be a bit of a, a bit of a change in things. And I, the Flyers and, and specifically this general manager has never been afraid to do things like that. The last question before I move on regarding this topic, to some extent, how, how surprised were you that the Kraken named Hackstall as their head coach? I was surprised, but not totally shocked. Um, I know people, and I thought he was, a, I thought he was a good hockey guy, but I thought he took the orders from, the front off, you know, Hextall just didn't want to do anything different. And I think his hands were a little bit tied that way. And I also think he, he, his route was wrong. If he had been Toronto first as an assistant, then the Flyers, I think it would have been a far better thing for him coming right out of college. I mean, he had that, you know, people that don't know, North Dakota's run like, I mean, you're the king, right? You know, you, you run North Dakota's programming. Then what else do you have? You got the angle stat, you got nothing else. Well, you got Wentz out there, but you got, you get, you're the show and you can kind of, you don't have to do anything. I think he was too closed here in, in terms of just re relating to fans. He'd sit, stand behind the bench and the fans said, what's going on? He's not doing anything. And, uh, and I think he, I just, even in his news conference going there, he was a lot more open. Uh, and I think he's going to, I think he learned a lot of lessons. I'm just hoping it's not like Philadelphia where, you know, people come here and get their mulligan like Terry Francona and uh, exactly. 
Kapler, and, and then they end up being really good somewhere else. But I think he took some lumps here, and I think some of them were taken uh, because the general manager, who uh, Hextall did a good job, but boy, he he kind of closed the closed the wagons on everybody, and I think the coach uh, didn't didn't get his best chance of success because of that. Um, those are fair points. All right, going back to your uh, newspaper days, mm-hmm. kind of alluded to this a little bit. What was your favorite team of all time to cover, and what was the least favorite Flyers team that you covered? Well, my favorite was probably '87. Okay. Yeah, that was that was his favorite team. That was my yeah, favorite team. That was a those guys were really that was a fun team. They, they made a hell of a run. Uh, they were, you know, all kinds of great moments in that. It went on forever. They, it was just, uh, it was just, it was just fabulous from the beginning. And this was after the 85 situation, the tragedies there after that. And uh, it was just a great bunch of guys, very physical team. Um, probably in Philadelphia, probably they and the 93 Phillies are kind of the best teams that didn't win. Uh, and the fans have the closest appreciation for my least favorite were, I liked Eric Lindros, but I didn't like the daily soap opera that went with it. I, I, I felt like I wasn't really covering hockey. It was just this. And, you know, it turns out Eric and his family were way ahead of the curve on concussions and stuff. But at the time to cover it, and I was national at that point, it was just one day after it was just uh, grueling. Uh, to cover it's like you were covering two different things a, a team and a situation <laughs> and it really it really wore on everybody by the end now a follow-up to that be, what do you know of any behind the scenes stories that you know won't put anyone out there like how did the team really um accept or, or did they accept eric well I mean, he well he was let, let's face it he was a great player i mean even at practice. I mean, if you just went to watch the practices, it was, he was a forceful player. He was a terrifying player, even at practice to line up against. And he's just a monster in the faceoff dodge. He'd run right through you. I mean, I never would have wanted to practice against him. It was incredible. But the, the other stuff, I think, I think the last go round uh, when he, you know, got hurt and then just before the game against the devils or Stevens hit him, I, I think it was more than a little bit split locker room, whether he should even return to the lineup because they were doing so well and then to have him come back and he played well that first game. But I think that upended some chemistry there. And I think the players kind of were fed up with just the whole, not him as much as the whole situation. I mean, it's terrible. You know, you go in after a game, even like that. And the questions aren't about the game. It's about Eric. And that's a hard, especially in hockey. That's a really, really big burden to bear. Uh, that it becomes about a person and not a team. Now, you kind of covered my next question, but the the one thing I want to ask you about the Lindros saga before it started, did you have any inkling of the drama that was unfolding at the draft with the the Nordiques, Rangers, Flyers? Oh, absolutely. In fact, I was the first one to report it. Um, Mm, Awesome. Well, and it came, believe it or not, it was Mike Keenan, who at the time was with Chicago. And I was just asked a question of Mike about uh, they had supposedly had in interest in Eric. And Mike just looked at me and said, well, no, that's between Philadelphia and the Rangers. And we all said, what? And sure enough, like a minute later, there was chaos over what was going on. So that was the first indication we had. And then it just uh, it just turned into, as usual, uh, you know, more and more chaos uh, with him right, right from right from the beginning on, on what was where he was going to go, what was going to happen. And I I contend, and I could be totally wrong. I, I want your thoughts on this. The year before, they dropped the ball drafting Mike Ricci over Yager, and that was because they didn't have anyone on a team to babysit Yager who didn't speak the language well. And I think Herdina was on. Or there was a there was a Czechoslovakian player on Pittsburgh at the time, so we. We picked Mike Ricci. Following year was the Lindros draft. We took Forsberg. Obviously, the big trade involved Forsberg, but I contend if we had taken Yager, he wouldn't have come up as an 18-year-old, and we would have packaged Yager and Forsberg for Lindros. And how how would that have sat this down? Well, uh, 
I mean, Forsberg, I don't know. My argument would be who was a better player, Forsberg or Lindros. <laughs> Me, I, right. I would have well, kept, kept Forsberg. Did you, at the time, though, what, what were your at thoughts time, on Forsberg? At the time, you know, at the time, it was, well, you know, you're winding back a long way to, you know, how, you know, Yaga was, European players were great, but there was still uncertainty, shall we say, about what yeah. you're going to do. Um, so, I mean, you're, you're winding back to that. It probably would. You probably could have got that done. It took a heck of a package uh, to get to get Eric out of Quebec. I mean, look at all those players that were gone. But that that may have been that may have been what would have happened. Um, I don't I don't know that I don't know. Not knowing Quebec, it was so hard to read that side of the room too uh, on what was going to happen, who they really wanted, uh, who they really looked at. But it was uh, it was an amazing uh, collection of people and. It was also was it fifteen million dollars, which ironically yeah. is is exactly the amount of money I believe that Ed, Ed Snyder sold the radio station for to, <laughs> to, pay, to pay to pay for Lindros. So so it's kind of a weird weird story uh, on what was going on. And the Ranger, I I I don't have it on my on the top of my head, but the Rangers package was an amazing package too. I think it was a Monte was in it. Um, um, yeah. Was, was in the package. Twenty million dollars was in the package. Yeah, but it didn't matter the packages. It was, it, frankly, the the Flyers were way. I mean, they made the offer first. I mean, right. it was a weasel move on the Quebec part on, on what was going on, and there was just no way that 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 was going to get undone. I mean, it was uh, the forensic stuff that you did afterwards. It all came to the conclusion that they had a deal in place, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm not, now the question: Would you would you want to undo it? But they had the deal in place, and they got good. I mean, let's face it, Eric Lindros. He came in. I thought they were going to win a couple of cups with him. Everybody did. I mean, it was uh, it was that simple. He was just that good a player. Yeah. All right, Nick. Well, speaking of the radio station, how long do you see this ride going for at WIP, and and how enjoyable is it working the Flyers pre and post game broadcast on on NBC Sports? Well, it's like two separate lives. You know, one radio morning drive and have fun. I mean, I don't know how long it'll last. We've been there a long time and mm -hmm. people keep listening, which is amazing. <laughs> but I, you know, <laughs> I, I think, well, I, I think people ask, you know, they say, how can you do this uh, for so many years, 20, 30, whatever it is? And I say, it's really easy to understand because we're not doing the same thing. It's like, like every day, it sounds bad, but every day there's a new jackass. So it's like just when Makes you think easy. nobody nobody can undo something, somebody brays even louder, and it just goes on and and not just in Philadelphia, everywhere. I mean, the world of sports has become TMZ, everything. It's just it. I've never thought. I mean, you know, and, and we have the advantage in the morning of being able to you know, kind of mess about with things that aren't even sports, kind of get involved in that stuff, music, everything, and it makes it really um, much more interesting mix. And because it's in the morning, you got to be light about it. You can't, we can't, except for the Eagles, you can't really go hardcore anything in, in the morning. It just doesn't work. It's got to be much more leaning toward entertainment, save the Eagles. Um, so, I mean, that's what I've learned about it. And basically I'm on the sidecar of that motorcycle. I, you know, Angelo runs it. So I just kind of come in and listen and it's fun. But I have noticed that the biggest, the only gripe I have in Philadelphia with anything is, and I, I think the gripe goes beyond Philadelphia. I find this a problem through the, throughout most of the United States. The NFL is so big that it hurts other sports um, in terms of talk about them, interest in them, um, and the ability of a team to sort of hide in the green shadow of the Eagles or whatever shadow of the color of the team in any city. If the Flyers had gone through what they had gone through before the NFL became such a monster, the, the beauty that they used to have with, even if it was a, a second team status or third, whatever, that locker room and that building always, and the owner always made them feel like they were a huge story. And you better, you better be able to answer to the fans because all these eyes are on you. And I think what's happened with the Phillies, with the, with the Flyers, and to a lesser extent, but still the Sixers, is like, well, once the Eagles start, we're kind of not that they're trying to hide under the cover, but a lot of it does get hit under the shadow because the NFL has become 
what soccer is in Europe, the NFL has become. And it, if you're old enough, you remember a time when it, the Eagles were big, but not like this. This is this is unbelievable what the NFL has done. The numbers they run out for drafts and stuff. It's like, wow. And you have to sort of fall into it because it's a bulldozer. You'll get buried if you don't dedicate so much time. You look at even on NBC Sports. I mean, it's football all year round. And that's and I think that's that's my one. It's not a great. I feel a bit bad for other sports that don't get some of the spotlight that I think they need. But now what it's developed is necessity podcast uh, specific things, uh, people going right there that really want to be into this. And a much more, I find fans now much more informed. Uh, I could never go on a, a regular radio show or even a do TV 10 years ago and talk about technicalities of face-offs and things like that. And I, I would have just thought I'd lost my audience completely. But now I think you've got a much more uh, informed fan base, specific fan base to a sport. We can actually get into that, have a little bit of fun with it, and actually make points that aren't going over anybody's head. Maybe mine, but not over the audience. <laughs> awesome. You, yeah, and you're so right, Al. I, I remember in my teenage years, um, the local network that was covering the Eagles sometimes would buy the remaining tickets so the games <laughs> wouldn't be blacked out. And that yeah. happened a lot. I was like, oh, I yeah. was on pins and needles. Am I going to get to watch the game this week? Because I was like, I still am. I'm a sick Eagles fan. And I'm like, oh, thank God, Channel 10 bought the tickets. But it's not even an issue. You're so right. It's 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 come such a long way. It's like they are the kings of sports. <laughs> now, one of our loyal viewers is Dean. And Dean uh, was reading my mind. The great sports debate. That to me was one of the greatest shows on cable. I love Prism. It was you. It was um, Glenn. It was Jason. It was Mike. Angela with the raisin in his teeth. It was. Uh, it was. Those were some great shows. Do you remember the episode where he had the raisin in his tooth? Yeah, he got mad at me because I told him. Yes, that. I, I was hysterical. He had a bagel, Nick, and nobody told him on the set that he had a raisin <laughs> in his tooth. It was hysterical, and I'm watching the show going. You got something in his teeth here. What's going on? Uh, it was hysterical. But that was that was that was my indoctrination into Al Morganti and Jason Stark and all the all the the powerhouses of of today, back in the day. That was yep. that was le legendary in retrospect. Yeah, that show. Let's face it. It was I had my dog on the show, and that's why it was a success. Fenway yes, I know. Bernice Mountain Dog and Fenway was Fenway would sit there. It was amazing. That that dog was terrific. Uh, you just sit through the show, look at you, and it was great. We had a, we had all, we had, we had whole episodes about him, of him getting, him getting involved with mafia or something. It was just great. Uh, but it was, I think, I think I've, I've been lucky in that I, I kind of was at the beginning of a lot of different things in sports. So right now, I mean, and I was, and I was, I have good ideas sometimes. I, you know, radio. I said, why don't we go do radio? Why don't we try this? Why don't we try television? Wing ball. Wing ball. Right. <laughs> why don't we try these things? And I was like, I think it's because, like, I, I was at ESPN at the beginning of ESPN. I was at WIP at the beginning of WIP. Um, I was at the I went to the national at the beginning of kind of that that kind of thing. That's so awesome. So, yeah, and I'd come into a I come into a situation and people wouldn't necessarily just say, no, you don't have any experience. Like, well, nobody has any experience. So it kind of was like, if you went on an airplane and, and you'd never been on before and the, and the wheels didn't come down and you landed, you might think that's normal. Well, I just thought this must be normal. <laughs> this, this, what, this is how you do TV. But you look back at it and I go, how the heck did we talk people into letting us on a major radio station? On a, and I, I, I tried to tell the inquiry. That's why I left. I, I'm like, do you understand the opportunity we have here? We, we, you should get involved with the radio. Get, and they, they didn't want me to. That, that's frankly why I left. They said, well, you can't do TV and radio anymore. You got to do just, you know, just print. And I'm like, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> and sure enough, they, they went down because they just wouldn't, they wouldn't change with the time. So I got lucky with the TV. I got lucky with ESPN. I, I've been fortunate on, on a lot of things that just, good people i get some ideas and then other good people make it work yeah. you almost i was going to say you, you you're constantly segueing into our next questions which are <laughs> tremendous what was it like going from you know just a local guy learning your craft to, to then jumping to espn was there any trepidation involved oh well 
I remember when I went up, Billy Clement, it's funny because Billy, I told you, I worked, I covered in Atlanta and uh, he was in Philly. And I remember he was on the same flight to him. Uh, I got a call from my friend Vin, Vince Doria was kind of a kind of ran a lot of things at, um, at ESPN. And he had been the sports editor at the Globe. He actually tried to hire me to go to the Globe uh, to leave Philadelphia. And he was the best man at my wedding. So I had, well, I guess you would say I had connections. So I got a call and said, we're going, we've got the contract. Now they've got another contract. But at that time, the first time ESPN had the hockey contract. You, know, you want to come up, you pretty much got the job. You want to come up, we want to do some you know, test things, whatever. So I was going up with Billy and I, he says, well, where's your sports jacket? I said, I don't know if I need it. I thought I was being hired as a researcher. <laughs> and it was for on air. <laughs> I'm like, you can be kidding me. I've never been on TV in my life. <laughs> what do you mean, really? I mean, big TV, like on the national TV. He said, oh, yeah, you're going to be on national TV. I'm like, you are kidding me. So I got that. And I remember at the time I had um, long, really long hair, mullet, uh, I mean, the whole thing, right? And really long hair. And I remember we did our first show. And if you've never done anything like that where you have to use makeup, what do I look at me? Do I look like I've ever used makeup? I mean, come on. So I... I they go in, they go, well, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to have hair like that, you have to get the back of it behind your head. You can't like, I said, okay. So she goes, I'll do it. I go, no, I'll do it. So she gives me this, the woman gives me this, this comb that was round. What do I know? I go in and I twist the comb and then we're on the air and I can't get it out. And we're <laughs> and I cannot get this, this thing is wrapped around my hair. I'm in the men's room. I remember I'm in the men's room. Going, well, how do you I tried to reverse it. I tried to like do a, like a car wash backwards, go the other way. With the world. Come out. But finally, I just yanked the whole thing out. And from then on, I, let, I cut my hair and I let the women do the makeup. And you handed you handed over to Barry Melrose. My, well, yeah, this, but at least, but Barry was smart enough to let. I mean, you know what you're like. You're like I'm one makeup and stuff so it was it was horrible and then you know i was it was a rough go for at the beginning i wasn't you know camera savvy i got run over by a zamboni in buffalo it's like oh, it was just a, Bar barry lubed his hair barry lubed his oh, hair up yeah. too much for the brush I, to I get stuck working, in that <laughs> i love working with barry i mean i've worked with barry jim Schonfeld was there i worked with so uh, john saunders at the time i go back to tom meese was that was in the studio uh, yeah. yeah when we started Billy was in the studio, Gary Thorne. Um, I worked with the uh, Levy was there at the beginning. Um, Darren Pang was there. It was uh, Brian Engblom. Holy jumping. The hair going too. Yeah, jumping. I worked with all those great, great people. And it was, uh, it was terrific. It was, uh, it was, and you know, got to travel. But I did learn that although national is really nice, in hockey, you, it's much more feedback local. If I say something about the Flyers on NBC, NBC Sports, it, it, there's immediate feedback. People are watching. Uh, hockey, you learn the hockey markets. Um, believe it or not, Buffalo and Pittsburgh were just amazing hockey markets. Just amazing. You go with people who would know you. you. You go other places, they had no idea. Uh, and, and then Gretzky, when Gretzky went to L.A., of course. And fortunately for me, I had a really, really good relationship with Mario Lemieux. So that really worked in my favor too, having come from there. So there was a, there was a lot of rough going. I thought I was going to get fired. Uh, I guess it was ninety whatever year the Islanders played the Pittsburgh, uh, the Washington played the Islanders, and uh, Dale Hunter whacked. Uh, There's a French player, uh, Turgeon, Pierre Turgeon, and he was going to get suspended forever. And Turgeon was going to come back, and they kept. ESPN wanted to do an interview with Turgeon again in the next series when he was going to come back, what happened when Hunter hit him and everything. So I said, I said, I asked and he won't do the interview. He won't talk about it. And the producer said, no, he'll talk about it. I said, I'm telling you, he won't talk about it. So the producer goes down and in the locker room and says, okay, it's all set. You're doing the interview. I said, I'm doing the interview. He told me he won't talk about it. So I go down and he goes, yeah, he, we'll do an interview, but you can't ask about the Hunter thing. I'm like, well, what good's the interview? <laughs> so I said, well, we agreed to it. And they had the PR director, the general manager, everybody's around on this interview saying, you understand, you cannot ask about the unconscious thing. I said, yeah, that's the deal. So we start doing the interview. And in my ear, the producer goes, all right, now ask about the hunter thing. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to ask about the hunter thing. 
I couldn't say it out loud, but I just did. So I didn't ask. And I'm like, and I go out and that guy, they're yelling at me, you might be fired for this. How can you do an interview and ask not? And I said, because you made a deal. So uh, it was the, that was, that was the terrifying to me that that happened. I guess they thought I would just roll with it. Maybe that happens in TV, but coming from where I was, if I told somebody I wasn't going to do something, I wasn't going to do it. And it was, it was the worst experience I've ever had. All right, Nick, I, we could skip the next question. Alice kind of covered it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I mean, my question was going to be, uh, as we, you know, go to the Stanley cup playoffs and, and the finals here, um, what were your thoughts leading up to the finals, Al? And, and um, obviously not what we all anticipated. I'd like to know in particular what you thought about a, a couple of teams, whether they didn't make it or didn't make it like Washington Islanders, Colorado, Edmonton, Montreal, um, you know, what happened there? I thought the Islanders were going to win the cup. Hmm. Um, I, I mean, I was one of the, I mean, I was, I was, it was a minority pick there at the beginning. Uh, I just thought that their coach and their defensive system, even with their missing player league, I, I thought that they had a defensive culture that would work. And I thought Barzell would be their freelancer and they'd be able to get through with that and goaltending, obviously. Um, and they're really good defensive pairing that they had. Uh, I thought they're made for the playoffs. So I, I, I thought they were going to win. And coaching. Oh, Best yeah. coach in hockey. Just a terrific coach, yeah. And I, I thought, you know, they're going to – I really thought that that would be the team that, that could knock off uh, Tampa. Um, I'm surprised Montreal is there. Um, although their centers are better than I thought, um, way better than I thought. And they've got a goaltender. And their path was probably the easiest. But that's not to say they haven't earned a whole lot. I mean – you know, the team won less games than the Flyers and <laughs> they're in the Stanley Cup finals. And but they really uh, played a good system. Um, they 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 play good defensive system. And when you when your middle is as good as them and Suzuki's come along for them, I'm I'm I'm, I'm kind of surprised they're there, um, but I'm not shocked uh, as many people because I've seen so many surprises in hockey once you get in. And when you have a goaltender like that, I really like. I like the fact that Tampa's going to win this thing because I, I look at this like it's a reward for last year. Um, to have won it in a bubble uh, like that and not go home and win that, right. that's very difficult to do. And I'm really glad I'm presupposing they win it on their home ice. Um, I would have been tempted to throw a game in Montreal because after I won it the previous year in a bubble and then I'm not even allowed to bring family up to Montreal, um, I really think they've earned this celebration, which is why I'm not so upset about the salary cap with Kucherov um, going over the top on it. Um, I think that this is just rewards for what they did in a bubble last year. Um, plus, I'm a Tom Brady fan, and everywhere he goes, the city just wins. Yeah, Tampa Bay is on fire. And a follow-up, though, all over social media, well, at least – the, the, the Montreal Canadian fans are very, uh, very prevalent on social media, at least the hockey sites. And all you're hearing is the crybabying about the salary cap loophole for the playoffs. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, he did come back. I mean, it, it's in the rules. He did come back. It's not easy to come back from injury. Um, so I, I, if, as long as you're in the rules, I don't think they played fast and loose. It's like, I mean, I covered a Colorado team. I believe Forsberg missed virtually a whole year and then played in the playoffs. So, you know, so it's not like there's no blueprint. Patrick Kane too. Yeah. I mean, you know, okay. Salary cap that it does change it. Maybe they wouldn't have been able to have one of their forwards uh, for sure would have had to leave, but um, I'm, I'm not, I don't think it was done with malice. I, I don't think it was uh, sketchy on what they did. Hold a guy out. I mean, that would have been a whole different situation. Um, there is something to me to returning and coming back from injury and being that good um, to be able to play. That's not that that shows at least you had to work to, to rehab. Rehab is very difficult. And to rehab and come back and have this MVP kind of effect, um, I would lean toward that side of the story. I can understand if it was the Flyers, people would be howling about it, too. And I saw this loophole a long time ago, but they decided not to close it up. Once you decide that, well, you're open for this. Um, I just lost my train of thought. Um, oh, here it is. Inevitably, they're going to lose players, though. 
are there are there you referenced earlier when Nick was asking about the offseason. Are there any guys that you would target that you can see available from Tampa Bay's team? Well, who's the, that? Tyler uh, Tyler Johnson. Yeah, Tyler. No, that's, that's who I would love. That's the kind of player I think you could really add. Yes, uh, that that's that would be a, a target for me, knowing what Tampa is going to be going through here. So that is a guy that that I would target there. And uh, but otherwise, I look at their. Who you can, I know how much they can lose. Um, they've managed to do things. I don't know what their trading partners would be, um, where they'd be more favorable. But that's the guy I would target from from Tampa, and I think that's doable. But we mentioned at the beginning all the other names that are there, and I'd have to lean. You know, this is a tough decision here. You go, you really think they need the game breaker offensively? Because let's face it, Giroux is is still a very very good player, but not a game breaker anymore. Um, Konechny's not the game breaker. Faraby maybe, but you know, you need you're going to go with offense. You're going to take a risk on Eichel with the neck. Um, and, and offer whatever there, or you're going to go defense. I, I think you have to go one way or the other. I don't think you can come back. If you come back status quo, that just no. that just ain't, even even if the goaltender plays really really well, it, it just not. I don't think it's going to be enough. What about Frost? How do you see him? I mean, can he be that game breaker? <laughs> yeah, I guess I, I, have, I have. When you try to project. Um, I don't know how it projects. Uh, you didn't see enough of them in, in the league. I mean, right. even even first time around, when, when you see a guy first time around, your first time around the league, even in a league that's not as physical, it's um, it's like the it's like the boards are covered in velvet. It's such a really cool thing to be the first time. It's not it's that reality doesn't sink in until mm-hmm. you know, it's a grind, and then you see what happens. So I guess he could be. I, I <coughs> certainly have seen moments with him. Um, you know, they've got a, you know, if, if, if they have so many, if Hayes is what he's supposed to be, if Frost comes through, if, 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 I mean, I, I, I trade it's for York. I mean, well, then I looked at the kid in uh, Montreal. I mean, who I would. Caulfield. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Is that, is that for real, for real? Gostaspear when he came up, my God. So I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not sold on, but I'm, I, I think they need a short, I, they need a, an absolute linchpin guy. The problem is, like Krogrov was supposed to be the uh, franchise guy or the you know the number one guy, your your, your defenseman that's going to carry you through. And he's an excellent player, but he lacks he lacks an ability to control the pace of the game. Um, and it's something that very few get, a Bork or whomever. That you can actually, when when you get ahead, it slows down, or, or it speeds up when you have to. You control time and time and score. Your your game changes on time and score. Krovarev hasn't. He hasn't. He hasn't have that. Maybe he will get it, but right now he doesn't have it. Niskanen helped him out in that in that area, even if it was just where he was. It kind of indicated time and score, what to do. But um, Krovarev isn't at that control the pace of a game yet. And that's where I think they would, uh, Seth Jones would really, really help. Now, Al, over the years, you, you, you know, again, you've referenced some people. Who are the most, who have been the most influential people in your life in the, in the broadcasting angle, locally and nationally, in your journey? Um, well, Angelo Cataldi, I guess, in the radio, um, obviously. I mean, that show has gone on forever. That would be like first because you can last that long on radio. It's amazing. <laughs> um, uh, Vince Doria, the guy I mentioned from the Boston Globe, um, was huge. Believe it or not, and he didn't have that. I didn't even play for him. But Jack Parker, when I was at BU, not as a player, but covering um, covering the team um, as a student for as long as I was there as a student. Um, <laughs> he, he, but I mean, he treated the students like crows. Um, kind of how you cover a team. That was a big team. I mean. You know, I grew up with O'Callaghan, Ruzioni, Silky, all those guys. I was really close with those guys. Um, and, uh, you know, I was really good friends with Jackie O'Callaghan. still am, Jack O'Callaghan. And I just got treated, it, it kind of gave me a how do you deal with athletes type of a thing. Um, and, I, I mean, I've never been one to uh, do out, you know, outrageous stuff. Um, I kind of, I like the people I cover to win. 
I don't openly root, but I would prefer that they win because I see all the work that goes into it. So I guess in a way, um, Jack Parker, even if he doesn't know it, just because of the when I was first covering a team, he didn't just kind of shut doors and made it enjoyable to work. So that was a, he was a, a key, key guy in that. And then a guy named Jim Cohen at ESPN, he actually started with Pardon the Inter, Interrupt, what's in it, PTI? He started that. He was, a, yeah, was an assistant editor at the Inquirer when I was there. So he had a huge influence, but mostly Vince Doria, um, the guy that started me at the Globe, brought me to ESPN and then brought me to uh, the National Sports Daily when he took over there. So he had a, a huge influence on, on what I did. And to be honest, Ed Snyder, um, to uh, have teams that always wanted to win and make it, it makes you a better media person, I think, when you cover a cover a team like that where you think it's really really important <laughs> and uh it really helped and really really got a sense of big time uh, when that was going on dan i think uh, that comment by Vinny, our viewer was was right on point with what i kind of had been preaching over uh you know the last two months of the season and and our forwards played defensively and how that impacted how the microscope has shifted to us needing a, a defenseman, not to say that we don't, but you know, the inept ability to, to back check and forecheck hard and maintain possession and do all those things that, that forwards do to, to contribute not only, you know, as a, from a productive part of the position, but um, from a fundamental part of the position, which is, you know, to, to maintain con control and possession and, um, and not turn the puck over. So I, I agree with him on that point there. Just wanted to, just wanted to acknowledge that. I don't know what you think, Al. Yeah, I mean they. I don't think they were horrible defensively. I mean Voracek had a it looked like he'd improved the year before, but I think what happened was that that defense was so was so bad that it caused goalies to change their angles, uh, not knowing that somebody was going to take the right angle, and then forwards to kind of risky. But you're right, they didn't. It was bizarre because the previous year, Vigneault kind of, after the, hex, the mess at the end of Hackstall, they stayed in their lane is basically the easy way to put it. And they didn't as forward this year. But a lot of times it was, it was trying to catch up, catch up with the game. Um, and I, I, don't, I don't think I've ever seen a defense where, I mean, there's just, there's angles that you take that I couldn't believe some of the stuff that I was seeing. I'm like, how do you? I mean, Isaac Newton come, couldn't come up with some of the angles these guys were taking on. How do you, how do you, how do you do this? He's going to be behind you by the time you get to the boards. How, how can you not re, How can you not? How can you Anticipate. not gap up the way yeah. you're taught one one stick, two stick, three? I mean, this is basic stuff. Why? Yeah. Why is this gap like this in the neutral zone? It was amazing, and and everybody tried to catch up with with a defense that just fell apart. It just completely fell apart, and the forwards, I think. You should, they should be a better uh, attention to detail. And that's it, that, That's why the whole team at the end was like, you don't deserve to be in because when you get beat, you just get six, seven, eight goals against you. It's like, how, how can that, that shouldn't happen? And it happens when all the defensive basics all fall apart. So, I mean, it was a, it was a lot of responsibility on everybody, but I, I really couldn't, I couldn't have ever seen every defenseman basically taken two steps backwards last season. Yeah. Well, does that go to coaching, Al? I mean, is Mike Yo in charge well, of the defensive core? Yeah. No, it goes to – it does go to some. I, I I think that I have a hard time pointing to any coach because of the situation with COVID. Um, it, it's, it's very difficult to teach in that mess that was going on. You know, the meetings and – you know, they, they couldn't have practice time. The schedule was so weird. Um, and I, and I, it's very difficult to even say anything when you don't have access to people to see what's going on. It's a dangerous game to play, to lay blame here or there. They tried to indicate it. It, it, it sounded hollow because, you know, other teams went through the same thing. But, boy, they looked like a team that, that really needed some practice time and wasn't able to get it. Yeah. All right, Nick. Why don't we uh, Why don't we end with your question? Since my question ties into the penalty box a little bit. Yeah, I mean, right, right where we started the show. Uh, you know, Al brought up Carter Hart. Um, 
I, I guess in your opinion, Al, will he live up to, you know, the, I guess the billing that we, 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 we got with him when he first came into the league was my first question. And then uh, another one, obviously a big, a big talk about, um, you know, the defensive core here and Provorov. Um, will, will he ever be a, a true Norris trophy candidate? I mean, can he be? It and also, be. what, what, last question is what youngsters are you most excited about? Well, I, Frost is the is the youngster. I mean, I saw York a little bit, but I mean, I like the individual skills. I like the high end, uh, the exciting hockey that that I think brings people out of their seats. And I think that that's the guy that maybe can can provide that for you. And you need you need some of that. And I, and I think that is a guy that I'm really looking forward to seeing if that happens. Provorov, I all, I did think could be that guy, but what I saw last year was. Uh, like I'm not sure. I mean, when you're when you when you've got him and you're looking to go get Jones, it's like wow, uh, you know, right. maybe he's not going to be that guy. He's going to be very very good. I also wonder if they didn't. I know they like to say Russian machine never breaks. You can play him forever and ever, but I think they may have tested that a little too much. Uh, I think they could have uh, pulled back a little bit on that, and maybe that will help his game. But and also, I'm, I'm not. I'm not sure if him not being able to go home and work out the way he usually does didn't hurt him last year also. So I think there's some really high upside there for him. The goaltender I have, I have faith in because of the people I know that I trust that guarantee me that he won't have that breakdown, that mental breakdown. Like when he went squirrel in Boston with the sticks, I'm like, oh man, that's a bad look. And uh, that, that that won't happen again. I mean, I, I still have faith that he's the guy uh, that they're going to have to build on. So, yeah, I still have faith there that, that he's the guy. We, we had Chris Peters. I don't know if you know Chris Peters. Um, you know, he's a he's a pretty – he worked for ESPN for a little bit, really good with younger players. And he, he said the same thing. And I think we all have too is that – you know, his, he's never, he's never really, I mean, he's always been the guy at his age group. He's always at 2000. He's always been the guy in Canada. He's, he's won every, every level, everywhere he's ever been all the way up through, you know, U18s and world juniors. And now, you know, he's in a situation where he's just, you know, he's not, you know, he's, he's not putting up a lot of W's and with a low GA and all that. Um, maybe he's just got to get through this point and, and hopefully he does. He's so young and that he can, you know, forget about all this mental stuff and really get back to his game because he's, he's such an outstanding athlete and his work ethic is through the roof from everything I hear about, you know, the people that I know in the scouting world. Yeah. But he's got to start strong because this, uh, there's going to be an, it's, it's going to be a very impatient, uh, it's going to be an impatient fan base and an impatient team. Right. He's going to have to start quick and, you know, the goalie's going to have to, and the, uh, the coach is going to have to have a good start because <laughs> one way or another, <laughs> Rick Talk is going to be coaching in Pennsylvania, I believe, next year. Wow. So, I don't know which city, but, but I think he's, he's out there. And I think uh, whoever struggles, I think that would be the go-to guy. Well, if you got rid of LaViolette and Hitchcock as early as they did, uh, yeah. then you know, the same thing could happen. I agree with you 100%. All right, Al, so we have a pretty fun segment coming up. Um, so I've got to get rid of our little fancy schmancy here. Okay. Uh, Nick, what time is it? It's time for the penalty box. So, Al, the penalty box is a little segment that's outside of the normal hockey stuff. Um, We've done our favorite and least favorite jerseys. We've done tough guys. We've done draft redos. We've we've done the – so this this, um, topic popped in my head after um, seeing an article on – on the internet. And it was essentially guys that were, were great as, as it was, but they could have imagined what could have been. So here, here's, here's the, the topic careers cut short. And we're each going to talk about a guy and you know, which one I left for you. And um, I'm going to start with, with Mike Bossy. Now for the viewers that don't Mike don't know Mike Bossy, he broke Richard Martin's record for rookie goal scoring. He scored 52 goals in his uh, inaugural year. And then that year and nine straight years, he scored 50 goals or more. Unheard of. And five of those years were 60-plus plus goals. And in his last year, because he was oh, he was suffering from a bad back, if I, I was correct. He had horrible mm-hmm. back problems. 
he had 38 goals playing with a, a horrible back, which led to his retirement. So Mike Bossy averaged 57 goals a year in a shortened 10-year career. So he had 573 goals, I believe, in his career. Imagine if he played till he was 35, averaging another 40 goals a year. What could have been with Mike Bossy? Gentlemen, your thoughts on Mike Bossy? Uh, well, I've covered Mike Bossy, and I remember, I remember he got mad at me. I, I once wrote a story and say, you know, he's the only player that doesn't have to sweat because that's how, how how smooth he was. And he goes, "You don't think I sweat? You don't think?" Really, <laughs> he took it wrong. He took it wrong. I'm the guy, Mike. I, mean, I was just trying to say how how smooth it was in the shot, but he was. Uh, and plus, the the, ex, the extra years would have been in a time when people were scoring goals too. So I mean, yeah, he was a. Uh, he was just such a pure scorer. I mean, that I believe that team is, and I know the Oilers were great, but that Islander team to go through how many playoff series they went through in a row without losing, and when they had to, to have the clutch guys like that on their team, he would have been, uh, I have no idea where the, where the, the, ultimate, where the ultimate number would have been for him. But he was, he was clutch. He was uh, power play, and he was a perfect complement to the kind of, with Trottier there and Gillies there was just a, just the perfect weapon that they had. Uh, and he was a, he was just a blast to watch too. And, and to, to be part of that team, to be like the, the pure goal scorer that was there. I have no doubt he would have been near the top of the list. Yeah. So those yeah. numbers represent the games they played. So he only played 752 games. Just a, and what a line Trottier and Gillies and him. Unbelievable. They complement each other so well. So, Nick, talk to us about Tim Kerr and some of the metrics in the article about Tim Kerr. Oh, yeah, the original TK. Um, I mean, yeah. you know, I'll, I I just – my, you know, when you, when you think about Tim Kerr, the first thing that comes in my mind is him stand, you know, on the power play, him standing in the crease and Pelly Eklund just feeding him pucks and just – and scoring goals. Um, but, you know, as far as cutting short his season, I mean, he was, he was an undrafted – uh, free agent for, to the Flyers in 1980. And then by the 82, 83 season, um, he had really bad knee issues. Um, and I think he, he even broke his leg, um, you know, and, and, um, but he, he still began to, you know, to go on a run of four consecutive 50 goal campaigns, you know, in the process, um, setting the NHL single season record for power play goals with 34 in the 85, 86 season. Um, you know, and then in the first round of the 85 playoffs against the Rangers, um, you know, Curse set a, a, a still a standing NHL single game record, you know, scoring four goals in a span of, I think it was like eight minutes um, in the second period, um, you know, and, and an eventual 6-5 win over, over the Rangers. But, you know, obviously he was hampered by a, a lot of injuries. God, I mean, I don't even remember how many. It was like he had shoulder injuries too, didn't he? Yeah, um, he, yeah, he was also. I think Al was at eighty-five or eighty-seven, or even both years. He was, he wasn't even in the finals because of the injuries. Yeah, the shoulder injuries. They put the wrong size screw in his shoulder or something. It was. Uh, it was yeah, I mean that. Yeah, that that was eighty-seven, and and yeah. um, you know, and he missed. Yeah, yeah, he missed the two two games leading up to the final. It was Montreal and Edmonton, and and he he, he didn't play. Um, and, uh, you know, he, he, I think he rebounded uh, to play, you know, a, pretty much close to a full season in 88-89 um, and scored almost 50 goals. Um, but, um, you know, he, you know, I think just injuries just kind of obviously cut his career short there. And, um, you know, but at the end of the day, he finished his playing career 10th all-time in goals, uh, you know, per game. Um you know, uh, and, uh, in, in his second all time in career shooting percentage. So, you know, and he's obviously had some personal tragedies that we all know about after, after his career with, with his wife and whatnot, but man, I mean, I think if he would have continued to play without those injuries, I mean, we could have been talking about, but probably the all time great, you know, in Flyers history, in my opinion. No, no doubt. Probably a top five goal scorer of all time as well. And now I've talked about Bobby or countless times, on our show, um, Vance, who was unable to make it tonight, um, he's the youngster of the group. So he, I mean, I'm, I, we're Nick and I are too young to really appreciate Bobby Orr. I, ca I caught a minute of him at the end of his career, 
but he only played 657 games, averaged a point, 1.4 points per game. Can you talk to us about what it was like growing up watching this man play? Well, I mean, let's put it in perspective. In a city that has Brady and Russell, or I think is above them, <laughs> that, that's how big an impact. Uh, he changed the game. He, he, you go end to end. It was just, as soon as the puck touched his uh, stick, it was you got out of your seat. He completely changed the way the game was played, and he just had a look to. Him. I mean, I don't even think he laced his skates up. He had this weird, almost like a Volkswagen. How the how the wheels go in the tire? It looked like that when he was when going around the ice. It was so. It was it was just unbelievable. And the, the knee injuries he had, he played through that. And the physicality that he played with. I mean, he just bang, banged into people. He could throw hands. It was just remarkable to watch him play. It was like we waited. We'd heard about this kid for so long. Everybody, who the hell knew where Parry Sound was? But every kid was like, this kid's coming from Parry Sound. It's Bobby Orr. And, it, and then he arrived. It was like, oh, my God, it's better than we even thought. It's, it's ridiculous. It was so bad. It was so good. You know, kids now, they'll wear like 99, whatever. Nobody would dare, even in a practice jersey, wear number four. Like, who the <laughs> hell do you think you are? You cannot wear number four. What are you, an idiot? Go to the home. Nobody wears number four. <laughs> That's just not done. And, you know, and I, you know, I still would go up to bar, go to the fours, the bar there all the time. It's just famous. Like, number four, Bobby Orr, it was like perfect. It was just this absolute treasure. And like I said at the beginning, when you asked me if I was a Fly Bruins fan, when they let him go, it was like, you, 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 "That's it. it it's <laughs> over. Happen. This cannot happen. It's, it's not real. It's not real. This didn't happen." And you know, he had the problem with his agent afterwards. But I've seen him at uh, one thing I've always wanted to do. Like I've seen him at golf tournaments and played softball against him. He's a nice guy. Boy, his knees were so beat up; it was just ridiculous. I always wanted to get a golf scorecard in one of the tournaments I played with him and put all fours on the 18 holes number three, all four scores and have them have them sign that card I always thought that would be that'd be the only memorabilia I would ever want in any sport so for me even though there was Gretzky and Lemieux I don't think I've ever seen anybody change a sport like he did this was this would be like if you're a soccer fan and you saw the goalie catch the ball and then go all the way down and score a goal that's the part. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a great analogy. Now, real fast, Al, can you can you tell us about because I believe obviously the reason the Bruins let him go, I think I think he played 10 games the last year for the Bruins because of his knees. Yeah. But then he was coerced, I guess, to come out of his injury retirement to play for in the, in the Canada Cup of 76. And he was yeah. the best player in the series, correct? <laughs> He's a good player. Yeah. He was just uh I God, God knows what it would be like with the kind of surgery they do today. I mean, if you look, I even remember that it was, we all knew the name of the doctor, Dr. Carter Rowe, I remember. The guy would in, that would uh, do the surgery on his knees. But today, if he had that, you know, what they have, the, the arthroscopic stuff, God knows what it would have been like. I, I, I've seen so many good to make coffee, but they could, the combination, nobody had the combination. Larry Robinson was certainly right there. Yeah, but he was great. No, it was, uh, this guy, he, if you're a hockey fan, you go you just watch old video and make you want to cry. Just watch him, watch him way play. And, get, and in fact, I, I remember when I came to Philadelphia, the first thing I said to Pat Quinn was, you know, I'm from Boston. And he goes, oh, because he hit Orr. Orr used to come around the board. When Orr went behind the net, he, you know, he didn't wear a helmet. And he put his head down as he made the turn to go to go and, and one corner out of the corner and up the boards. He, he put his head down and Quinn just popped him. And I'm hmm. telling you, there was like a posse out to kill Pat Quinn. <laughs> and to the day I came to Philadelphia, I said, Pat, I'm from Boston. You know what I remember? He goes, oh, I remember that. But they were good <laughs> friends afterwards. And that was just, he was just, the, he was the best in my mind. Nope. That's why I threw him up there. I mean, there's so many names. We could have brought up Cam Neely. We could have brought, yeah. brought up Pavel Bure. We could have brought, even Mario. Uh, if, if he, if he played near the same amount of games as Gretzky, yeah. the metrics had him scoring more all-time points yeah. and gold. Mario was a better overall player. I mean, Mario, yeah. he, he, you know, his, his injuries and, and health issues, but Mario was like, 
physical skills. I've never seen anything like it in my life. And his power play numbers were insane. Uh, when you look at the actual number of games and the points, when you look at, oh, you know, so-and-so's got so many points, whatever. No, Mario was the best power play player ever. Well, Al, this was, this was one of my favorite shows we've done in our short term with the Heat Racer Sports Network. I, I can't thank you enough. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we have. Um, you're welcome back anytime. And on, on behalf of myself and Nick, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Okay, guys, no time. Anytime, just give me a show. Yeah, man. Right. Thank you so much, Al. It was good catching up with you, and it was great having you on. I really, really appreciate you doing this with us. Okay, no we'll do it again. Okay, thank so you. So, viewers, we'll, we'll uh, wrap this up. So, remember to subscribe, tap the bell on YouTube, hit us on all socials, and we'll be back to get ready for some draft preparation and maybe talk about the expansion draft that took place. So, everyone, good night, good hockey, and enjoy Game 5 tonight.